And if you would join me in the book of James, chapter 3, James chapter 3 and verse 13. We continue to talk about a wholehearted faith, how faith works. James chapter 3, verse 13. It says this, Who is wise and understanding among you, let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not, uh, excuse me, such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Let's pray. Father, pray that today our hearts would be renewed, our minds would be renewed by your word. That you might sanctify us in truth today, help us to grow in wisdom, help us to grow in holiness, help us to pursue righteousness, help us to dedicate ourselves, commit ourselves over the next 30 minutes or so to your word, to understanding what James said, but then taking that and applying it to our lives, being faithful, obedient servants of Christ. Pray your blessing over the proclamation of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So uh, for Vacation Bible School, we had uh, a missions offering, a challenge throughout the week. And uh, throughout the week, we had, we had the boys, we had the girls, and they were competing against one another. And if uh, the girls won, Heather was supposed to get baptized in pain. If, if I won, wait, if, if I won, Heather was supposed to get baptized in pain. If she won, I was supposed to be baptized in pain. And of course, uh, as things played out, the girls just really uh, took us to the woodshed. And, uh, and so, so I lost, but we were raised enough that we actually both got baptized in pain, so it was great. But throughout the week, uh, we had these two towers, and, and they had, you know, uh, cash and coins. And, and one uh, fateful VBS service, I went and I grabbed a bunch of fake coins. And in the middle of the service, I came and I started trying to dump those coins in one side. And, of course, it caused a lot of chaos, caused a lot of disorder. And it was a lot of fun to see them try to recover from all of that. But the reality is, I had fake coins. So that didn't help me very much. There is such a thing as counterfeit money. You take it to the bank, you try to cash it. They're not going to cash it because it's counterfeit, it's fake, it's phony, it's false, okay? What James is trying to bring to our attention today is that there is a kind of wisdom that passes for wisdom on a worldly level, but it's not real wisdom. It's a fake kind of wisdom, and he wants to teach us today what true, authentic, biblical wisdom looks like. And so that's what we will look at today. We'll focus on true wisdom. He'll give us three, or we're going to take three lessons away from, uh, from James today, three lessons on wisdom and and let me just add, this is for you to evaluate you, okay? 
These lessons are for you to evaluate yourself, not to be used as a tool to criticize others. Have you ever heard a message and thought, man, I wish so-and-so heard that one, right? Because they really need to hear what Pastor Jared said this morning. No, this is for us to first evaluate ourselves, to take a hard look at yourself in the mirror and ask yourself, is this a description of you? Whether it's the the bad stuff that he's going to say about the phony fake wisdom or whether it's the good stuff he has to say about the authentic true wisdom, how, how do you fit in with it? How does this describe, compare to your life? That's what we ought to ask ourselves today. Okay, so lesson number one, wisdom is as wisdom does. Wisdom is as wisdom does. Listen to what he says. Who is wise and understanding among you? He is asking you to consider for a moment if you are wise. Are you a wise person? Now, this is kind of like a trap, right? It's kind of like, are you humble? Well, if you say yes, then no, you're not, right? Um, So it's kind of one of those trick questions in some way. But I think he means for us to take this seriously and to ask ourselves, am I wise? What characteristics could I look at in my life that would indicate, that would uh, be evidence of wisdom for me? Are you wise and understanding? What makes a person wise and understanding? We're tempted to think that a person is wise based on maybe their intelligence, their education, their brain power, their professional accolades. We just intuitively, instinctively think that if a person seems, by all appearances, well put together, they're well educated, they have a high IQ, they have all of these things going for them, they're successful in a worldly sense, we just automatically think they carry a sense of wisdom. Education, income, social ranking can give you a false sense of confidence that you are wise on some level. Of course, we see this a lot where someone becomes prideful because they are smart, educated, wealthy, powerful, and so on. But the proof of true wisdom is the ability to discern what is right and then do what is right. So that means in, a very, in various situations, you are actually able to discern, as a wise person, the difference between good and evil, right and wrong. You have a, a good grasp on that. And not only do you have the knowledge of it, you have the ability to act consistently with that wisdom. There's a lot of things in life we may know how to do, or we may know the right answer, but it is a totally different matter to work that out and to be faithful with your actions. A person's education, their intelligence, their wealth, social ranking, all of these things become immaterial to actual wisdom. In the highly acclaimed movie, Forrest Gump, he was once asked if he was stupid. Forrest responded with the famous line, stupid is as stupid does. Stupid is, even if you haven't watched the movie, you've probably heard that pithy saying, that bit of wisdom. What he meant by that is a a person's uh, stupidity is proven by their actions. 
A person's actions prove whether or not they are stupid, not their IQ, not the way they talk. He had kind of a slow way that he talked. He had a low IQ. That did not demonstrate stupidity. And if you look at what he actually did with his life, he actually lived a life of someone you might even consider wise. On the flip side, the, the entire uh, point of the movie, in many ways, is a secular version of James's point today. While we may intuitively think a person is wise and understanding because of their IQ, their appearance, their social ranking, and other external factors, true wisdom is proven by how a person acts and what a person does. Whatever your intentions are, don't we all have great intentions? Whenever you get in trouble, do you not say, well, my intent was, my intentions were. Of course, as a child, that just comes, that comes rolling out all the time. As you get older, it's still there though, right? We judge ourselves often by our intentions rather than what we actually do. And that allows us to kind of deceive ourselves in many ways into thinking that we're, that we're something that we're not. Because we always have good intentions, we think. Wisdom is as wisdom does. Let a person show their wisdom, James says, by their good life and their conduct. Wisdom is proven in this way. And this means on some level you can gain a good idea as to whether or not you uh, possess wisdom by taking a close look at how you actually live, what you actually do, how you really treat people one way or the other, not your intentions, but how you flesh that out. He's talked about faith without works is dead. Now he's moved over to wisdom And he's saying very much the same kind of thing related to wisdom. So what do you do on an average day? How do you spend your time? How do you speak? How do you act? A little bit later, James is going to give us some characteristics and marks of true wisdom. But a very good practice, as it says, I believe, in 2 Corinthians 13, 8, to test yourself, examine yourself, put yourself to the test to see if this thing you call faith is real at all or Wisdom is there at all. Lesson number two, true wisdom is self-forgetful. True wisdom is self-forgetful. Notice again how he puts this. Let them show it, talking about wisdom, let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. Wisdom produces humility. Wisdom produces a self-forgetfulness. The actions of a wise person are humble at heart. They consistently act for the good of others and operate with a self-forgetful mindset where they're not worried about how they're going to come off, whether it's going to make them look good, bad, or whatever. They're constantly looking out to the needs of others. It's the way that they operate, the way that they, such a person functions. Jesus, of course, is the perfect example of what truism looks like. Colossians chapter 2, verse 3 says, In Jesus we find all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 24 says, Jesus is the power and wisdom of God. He is the wisdom of God. Turn over for just a moment, please, to Matthew. Matthew chapter 11. There's 
I've mentioned this before, but I think it bears repeating. There's one time where Jesus talks about who he is at heart. What is most true of him. If you were to describe Jesus on a foundational level, what is the essence of his being? What is his heart? This is the one time he explicitly states it. It says in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. And here it is. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. This is the Jesus that we worship. Those who are weary and heavily burdened find rest in Jesus, which means that if you come in here this morning and you're struggling, you're hurting, you are broken, you need to know that in Jesus we are strengthened, we find healing in Jesus, we are restored in his presence. I love the way Dane Ortland, who actually wrote a book called Gentle and Lowly, would highly recommend you pick it up. Dane Ortland, Gentle and Lowly, he, he writes this, meek, humble, gentle, Jesus is not trigger-happy, not harsh, reactionary, easily exasperated. He is the most understanding person in the universe. And listen to this. The posture most natural to him is not a pointed finger, but open arms. The posture most natural to him is not a pointed finger, but open arms. He is accessible. He is approachable. He is Jesus. Now, on the flip side of this, what this means is that fake Wisdom is self-centered. Fake wisdom is self-centered. Notice if we go back to James chapter 3 and we continue reading verse 14, but if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom, scare quotes in my translation, such wisdom does not come down from heaven but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic for where you have envy and selfish ambition there you find disorder in every evil practice. So a truly wise person will not be self-centered. They are not given to talking about themselves all the time or angling conversations and situations to make it about them. They don't have to be the center of attention. They are happy to just serve others and let God work through them in that way. Their ambition is not to be glorious in the eyes of others, but to give glory to God, to magnify the Lord, to make his name great, not their own name, to build and lift others up rather than tear them down. This is true wisdom. Self-centeredness, on the other hand, which is pride, leads to bitterness and envy. If you see someone who struggles with bitterness and envy, this is because they have a very self-centered mindset. One of my couple of quotes here for you, one from Tim Keller. He says, the way the normal human ego tries to fill its emptiness and deal with its discomfort is by comparing itself to other people all the time. You want to know those who are envy and struggle with bitterness? Because they constantly compare themselves to other people. Listen, this is one of my favorite quotes of all time. C.S. Lewis wrote this in Mere Christianity. Pride gets no pleasure out of having something only out of having more of it than the next person. 
We say that people are proud of being rich or clever or good-looking, but they are not. They are proud of being richer or cleverer or better-looking than others. If everyone else became equally rich or clever or good-looking, there would be nothing to be proud about. Think about it, okay? It's not about being wealthy or good-looking or smart or any of those things. It's about being smarter, right? It's about being wealthier. It's about having more than others. It's about, because in some way we convince ourselves that by having more, we are more than others. And this is the way the human ego operates, where we constantly are wanting to puff ourselves up, to lift ourselves up on a pedestal and push everybody else down. And so the prideful person will constantly, constantly, constantly criticize other people, trying to demote them, lessen them, tear them down with the goal of proving to everyone else that they are superior in some way. This person will often present present themselves, however, as wise because they are the one who said what needs to be said, tell it like it is, the whole unvarnished truth when in reality they're just being harsh and cynical. There's a time to speak truth, and the Bible says you speak truth in love. You speak truth in love. You say, well, I don't like that person. Okay, but your battle is not against flesh and blood. Don't you see you're giving in to the evil one when you start acting like the world? It's easy to constantly criticize others. And in the world that we live in today, is it not just easy to be cynical? Some of us are like, it's my spiritual gift, Brother Jared. I mean, it is just so easy, right? There's so much wrong with the world. That's all that we can see. And that's why you constantly have to do what we did earlier, which is remember. Remember who Jesus is. Remember the weight of his glory. Remember how majestic and how awesome he is. And the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. That's where we've got to land. You speak truth in love. Jesus was full of grace and truth. His words were meant to build up people, not to tear them down. The self-centered person is motivated by an ambition for self rather than being motivated for God or others. Rather than loving God and others, they love me, myself, and I, and then they use God and others to get what they want. God and others are merely pawns in their game to get where they want to be out of their own selfish ambition. Of course, all this today has to be done in clever ways. You know, when the Bible was written, did you know uh, in the day in which the Bible was written in the Roman Empire, it was actually considered virtuous to boast? It was virtuous to brag on yourself. Now, today, we do have categories for that, right? When it comes to sports, it's like fair game, right? It's totally fine to speak of how great you are, your dominance, you're the greatest of all time. I mean, it's just totally fine to do that, and we don't cringe at it. But in a lot of other areas, if you have someone at the workplace who's constantly boasting about how wonderful they are, you are just sick and tired of them, right? Because we've learned today that's not actually virtuous. It makes us sick. So what we've learned to do, we've adjusted 
we still got to find a way to brag, right? And it's what we've perfected the art of the humble brag. Right? The humble brag. Oh, I just have so much money, I just don't know what to do with all of this blessing that the Lord has given to me. We will come up with clever ways to still brag, to still get our point across of how wonderful and how awesome we are, but say it in a way that's digestible for everybody else. And let's just be honest, some people haven't got that art down as good as they think they do, right? I mean, if we're just completely honest, (laughs) some of us still need to work on it, but the reality is the natural human ego moves in that direction. That's why Jesus says, you must deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. Don't follow your heart, follow Christ. Pursue him, pursue his righteousness. Followers of Jesus go against the cultural tide. Those who are influenced by the Spirit of God outdo others in showing them honor. It just doesn't wreck your ego for someone else in the workplace to receive praise, to receive advancement. You are for other people. If Jesus is our advocate, don't you think you should be advocates of others as well? If God is for us, don't you think you should be for others as well? Don't you think it should be your default natural position to encourage, to lift up, to strengthen, rather than feel like any time someone's getting a little too carried away with the praise of someone else, you feel like they're getting a little bit too much encouragement, you need to soften the tone, you need to level things out by laying it on them like it really is, the unvarnished truth. But that's not kind. It's not of Christ. That's just that selfish, hurting ego Coming out, so we are to be gentle and lowly at heart. We are to be approachable, accessible. We're to look out for the needs of others, encouraging people, and always counting others as more significant than self. And how easy is that for you? How natural is that for you to count others as more important than self? Lesson number three, true wisdom produces peace. True wisdom produces Peace flows right into this, verse 17. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. So the peace-loving person is like a healing balm in the room. Relationships are strengthened. Hearts are encouraged. The environment is healthier because they're in the room. One of my favorite preachers was a guy by the name of John Randalls, and he said, we're to be room changers. When you walk into a room, the room ought to change because of your presence in the room, because of the positive influence, the healing influence that you bring. And which kind of a person are you? Are you going to be the kind of person that when you walk into a cynical room that you just, like a chameleon, form conform to the image of those around you? Or are you the kind of person that when you walk into a room, you are an encourager? You are someone who is a peacemaker because you love peace. It's just true of you. It's your nature, sanctified by the Spirit. Look, he gives a list of characteristics that go along with someone who loves peace and who is wise. He begins with pure 
This means, and, and by the way, this is a good list to just write it down and you begin to evaluate others. I mean yourself, right? Yourself, maybe put it in the mirror and then look yourself in the eye and say, is this true of me? Pure. This means they are wholly set apart for God and fully committed to him, seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness. There's not a division of interest in your heart, in your mind. You are sold out to God. You are pure. Peace-loving, I already talked about this a little bit, but it means peaceful. They love peace. It's not just that they stumble upon peace by accident. They love peace. How many of us, we love conflict? Like who wants to watch a movie where everybody just gets along all the time, right? No, we want to watch a movie where there's conflict. There's some deep conflict and they're battling through it. Okay, that's fine. But in the way that you operate, Jesus says those of his kingdom are peacemakers. I didn't say that. Jesus said that. And now that's hard for us on on some level because not only are we American, we're Southerners and we're from Texas and we remember the Alamo. We have a come and take it attitude. Amen. Okay, don't amen too much. (laughs) But the reality is, we're kind of uncomfortable with that. But Jesus says we're to be peacemakers. That that ought to be our default position. Not saying there's not battles to fight. Our battles is not against flesh and blood. Battles to fight, but we are peacemakers. Next, consider it. This means we're gentle, not demanding on our own way, but we're courteous and kind in the treatment of others. Should you defend your faith absolutely to your last dying breath? But Peter says, defend your faith with gentleness. Defend it with a kindness in the way, because there's plenty of people who won't darken the doors of a church right now because someone thought that they would just tell them like it is, and maybe they did, but they did it in such a way that was destructive and hurtful rather than brings conviction of the Holy Spirit. Submissive. A submissive person is compliant. They count others as more important than self. They have a servant-like mindset. They have a foot-washing mindset, just like Jesus, and they voluntarily yield in love to others. This person's full of mercy. Not only does such a person love peace, they delight in showing mercy, because guess what? Mercy has been shown to you. You have received mercy, the riches of God's grace. You know, when the Bible wants to talk about God's wealth and his richness, you want to know what it talks about? It talks about his grace, his mercy. Praise God, maybe you don't have a lot of money in the bank, but you can be rich in mercy. You can be merciful and gracious and kind towards other people. This is countercultural, by the way. It's not the way the world functions because it's not what fascinates the world. We love a good fight. We're full, this person is full of good fruit, overflowing with acts of kindness and good deeds, not just trying to avoid sin. How many of us just wake up in the morning, and God, if I could just keep from sinning, if I could just keep from saying something bad or keep from doing something dumb or, or bad or, or, or losing control of my temper or, or whatever, and we're just always playing defense. But what if you woke up in the morning and rather than have that mindset, you ask yourself for just a moment, how could you overflow 
with kindness and generosity and love and serve people? What could you do strategically today to show kindness and goodness to those around you? Maybe it's an act of kindness. Maybe it's buying someone lunch. Maybe it's uh, going to someone's house, just sitting with them and visiting with them. Maybe it's a number of different things that the world will never see that you do, but they're constantly operating behind the scenes because you're overflowing with love. Impartial. Impartial. Such a person is unbiased in how they treat people not using people for their own selfish gain or showing favoritism to get ahead, but treating everyone with dignity and worth. Every person is respected. And then finally on this list, sincere. This is a person who's authentic. They don't have selfish motives behind the scenes where they're going to, yes, lay down a coat for a lady uh, to, to cross the street, an elderly lady to cross the street, but uh, what they really want is for people to see them do that and think, what a wonderful person he is. You see, we can do even good things and our motive, our motive be self-centered. So the wise person is sincere. They actually care for the poor. They actually serve others simply because they want to bless other people. And end of story. They want to bring glory to God. They want to share and reflect his kindness. End of story. On the flip side, fake wisdom produces infighting. Fake wisdom produces infighting. Notice verse 16, for where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil Practice. The reason that fake wisdom produces infighting is because we are constantly needing to prop up villains so that we can be the hero. We constantly need to cast people, uh, whether it's in our own circle or whether it's out, even outside of our circle, just uh, people that we know. We're constantly needing to portray people as monsters so that we can come across as the white knight in shining armor. That produces unnecessary infighting and you see it in churches all of the time where rather than sitting down at table with someone and seeking to understand them listening to them being courteous to them and considerate and working with them eager for unity we just dismiss people write them off and then attack them this is not the way of Christ I want you to consider as we close this morning that the Bible says Romans 5, 8, that while we were yet sinners, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. An incredible act of grace and mercy and sacrifice for the very people crucifying him and mocking him. This is Jesus. You cannot separate that kind of action from the heart of God. This is a reflection of who God is, that he loves even those crucifying him. And you could see the one criminal who began to receive that love. And he was saved. Maybe this morning as you sit where you are, there's a conviction of the Holy Spirit upon you because you realize what we just talked about is not a reflection of the way that you operate. Maybe you function with a lot of confidence and maybe you've 
told yourself a certain story about yourself and you've believed it for a long time. But my question is, does this reflect what you actually do? Is this a description of your life or are you someone totally different than what we just described? Maybe this morning you need to turn to Christ and be saved. I pray for you, I pray for all of us, for a change of mind, a change of heart that is countercultural, that does not fall into the fascination of the things that fascinate the world, but you are content with Christ and who he is. You are content to be who he's called you to be, to deny self, pick up your cross, and follow him. And I invite you this morning, if that's not you, then why not turn to Christ this morning? Why not find salvation in him? Why not be who God called you to be, who God created you to be? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. I want you to know this morning that God is for you, that the thing, if you'll remember earlier that we read in Matthew 11, the thing that qualified them to find rest in Jesus was just simply that they were tired and burdened. And he said, come to me, those who are weary and heavily burdened, and you will find rest, for I am gentle and lowly at heart. So maybe you're tired, maybe you're broken. Come to Jesus. Find Jesus this morning. He is far beyond anything that you can imagine. You will never plumb the depths of his kindness, and his grace, and his mercy, and his love, and his compassion. It's who he is. Gracious Father, I pray today that as we come to a time of response, we take seriously the call to follow Christ. We would take a good look at ourselves in the mirror and ask ourselves, is this a description of me, really? Or am I something else entirely? Do I have areas that, that need not just tweaking, but need to be crucified? Let us say with Paul, for I am crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Father, teach us right now. May your spirit move, and may we respond decisively. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand. Maybe this morning you want to turn and trust in God.